episode 196 of the White Cat Outdoors podcast, bringing you to the table where we talk about the outdoors. This week's installment is the second uh, interview that we're doing with the uh, big buck hunters in the room. Last week, hopefully you guys listened, that was Tommy Cat. This week, uh, it's myself, Nick, aka Nicky Knox. We'll see if it sticks. Uh, the guys aren't hopeful, but we'll see see what you guys think. Um, so yeah, this week you're going to be inter- they're interviewing me. We're going to be talking about my secrets to success, some tips and tricks, uh, even a little advice for the new hunter. We hope you enjoy this episode. I'm going to quit rambling and let's get tuned in to this week's episode. So I did the cardinal sin. I pull up my bow and then I look dead at his antlers. I got out of the truck and when I slammed the door, I heard gobbles all around me. Alaska, moose, spot and sock. That is the bucket list. I agree. What's going on, everybody? It's uh, it's good to be back for another it's installment. It's Wednesday, my dudes. It is Wednesday, my dudes. I can't believe that's the first time I, somebody said that yeah. with all the Wednesdays we record. Yeah. What's oh, that good. guy's name? I have no idea. He's also the Grape Gates guy. Yeah, he's, so. he is great. Anyway. Tom, do you know that guy's name? No. No, Tom's here, though. Good to be in the studio. And we also got one more chair filled tonight. What's going on, buddy? Hey, hey, hey. It's Austin's A-A, back. Austin, A-E. or A-E. The babe. <laughs> the babe. I love babe. Oh. So, what are we talking about tonight, Frank? Tom, what are, you guys, what are we doing? Well, last week you guys threw some questions my way, and I just answered them kind of interview style, spitfire kind of deal going on. And I think you mentioned that in the coming weeks before season, we're just going to do that with all of the regular big buck killers we have in studio. So, I think it, tonight it's. Nick's turn to answer some questions on his how-tos and tactics, what he does and doesn't do when it comes to deer hunting. Sounds good. Well, I'm ready, but so I'm I'm driving the audio stuff, but you guys are in the driver's seat for actually keeping this episode rolling, so good luck. And <laughs> I don't need luck. <laughs> well, if you don't need luck, then fire us off. Get us going. All right, so we're the, before the season, let's hit you with a hard one. What are your season goals? Season goals for the year. Um, It's going to change depending on the property. So a lot of it, you know, like I guess ultimate goal, not worried about properties, states, anything like that. Um, Top pinnacle is a net Pope and Young that I can turn into Pope and Young, get the wooden plaque made. Now I'll be straight up with you based on cameras so far this year, that goal is looking like it's going to be tough to achieve. You know, I, I haven't seen a single buck on camera that 100% would net 125. Mm-hmm. Now I've got some contenders that might be close, um, and I've got a property that I don't have any cameras on that always produces some really nice bucks that 
I know several in the last five years have been over 140. Yeah. So it's doable, but that's the number one goal. Um, the uh, next goal that's definitely a little bit more achievable is to film my own buck kill. So I've filmed several doe kills. I filmed Tom kill a buck, um, but last year, so I, I guess I've, I've filmed one buck myself, but it was with a GoPro and the footage sucks. Yeah. So I don't really count that. Last have you ever released that film, uh, that quality material? You and I both have GoPro bucks, and they, yeah, no, they suck. No, I didn't. It's Mine, kinda... it helps because it's literally right underneath me, so you can see a little bit, but GoPros suck. For... Yours is right underneath you, and it looks like you took like a 30-yard shot. Yeah. Nick's was a 30-yard <laughs> shot, and you're like, is, is that the deer? Yeah. So GoPros are good for like filming you in the stand. Yeah, it's a great uh, third person view or something yeah. like that. Um, so last year, the buck I shot would have been awesome to have on camera. I killed him inside 10 yards and but it was just a little dark for camera footage. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the one. So trouble. you're not one of those guys that if you can't get it on film, you're not going to pull the trigger. Oh, absolutely not. Um, if you've listened to for any extent of time, I'm also extremely cocky when it comes to filming. I say it's not hard. Um, <laughs> and I haven't had any issues yet, but I think a lot of the reason why I say it's not hard is because you don't care. I don't care. It, it's if I get it on film, I do. And most times I do. Um, but the, it was just timing on that one. It was too dark to film because like you're camera light and shooting light are two totally different things. Yeah. And I was past camera light, but that doesn't stop me from hunting. You mm-hmm. know, I would rather kill the buck than get it on camera. Mainly because it's, I'm out there to hunt. I'm not out there to film. Like mm-hmm. filming is like a secondary. It's mm-hmm. it's a side dish. It's not the main course. Yeah. Um, so are you going to change that up this year? That that no. is your goal locked in. You want to get a buck on camera. You don't, no. You still don't give a shit. I mean, I, I give that's a shit. Goal two. Um, goal two. Yeah. So it's basically I'm going to have my camera with me every single hunt unless it's raining. Um, so any like last year I've probably had my camera with me 80% of non-raining days. Mm-hmm. This year, like part of that goal of filming a buck um, would be to 100% of non-rainy days to have mm-hmm. my camera with me. Yeah. Um, I just can't risk ruining it in the rain, mm-hmm. so I don't take it if it's raining. Yeah. Um, if there's a chance of rain, I pack it because um, I have a my bag's water resistant, if mm-hmm. you will. So I can kind of wrap it in something and tuck it in the bottom of the bag if it does rain. Mm-hmm. Um, but then uh, I think, you know, third goal from that is to um, get two bucks again, um, but preferably both two with a bow. Mm-hmm. So. I've been there. It's a good time. Yeah, <laughs> I really enjoy shooting multiple bucks with a bow. Highly recommend it for yeah. anybody. Yeah. So those, I guess, are top three. Pope and Young, which is going to be tough, but it's it's a goal to ru- reach. Mm-hmm. Um, film a buck and then two bucks with a bow. Love that. Very nice. So uh, my question, my first question, you're usually a big gear nut. Yeah, and you're buying stuff left and right. You didn't buy anything this year. No. Are you locked in with what your setup is, or are you going to try anything new this year? I know you're always tweaking and doing new things to get more comfortable in the stand, getting up. Are you doing anything new, different? Um, so I guess I'm going to answer this with a long answer. Uh, the whole reason I've been such a gear nut for years was I 
I'm constantly, and maybe it's, you know, my engineering mind that I'm always looking for a better way to do things. And I tweak so much with gear because I always feel like, man, this could be a little bit better. Um, I've made my own things. I've tweaked other products. Um, I've even taken grinders to $500 tree stands. You have grinder? Yeah. Yeah. It's good for hunting property. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, Enough on that. Uh, But like, so I'm constantly tweaking gear and buying different things, selling different things. And I always said, once I get it figured out, I'll stop. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest, I've got it figured out, at, at least at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, there's always, you know, especially I'm in a lot of different groups on Facebook and doing the podcast, I talk to a ton of different people and they're always telling, because they know I like gear. So they're telling me what they use. Mm-hmm. And I love talking about gear because it's just something I enjoy. Um, but nothing this year jumped out at me and said, that will improve your hunt. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, besides, I don't really count broadheads and arrows as gear. Yeah. It's just, it's a necessity. Um, so I, I bought new stuff there, um, but like no new stands, no new saddles, no platforms, no backpacks, everything else um, staying the same. I do have another thing I want to touch on because uh, you said you don't count like broadheads and arrows and stuff as new gear. You just recently got your bow tuned. It was yesterday. Yeah. And you were having trouble with four fletch arrows. Did you talk to the guy that tuned your bow about why that four fletch may have been throwing your arrows off? Because the three fletch was thrown perfect. Yes. Um, So the guy that tuned my bow has been working on bows for upwards of 50 years. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, he knows what he's doing. Yeah, he is a very very knowledgeable guy. Yeah, the guy's in his 80s. He's been, he said he's been working on bows longer than compound bows have been around. Mm -hmm. That's, that's what he told me. Um, (laughs) So he's like, I I owned one of the first compound bows that ever hit the market. Like Mm -hmm. he, he's been working on them for a long time. And I handed him my four fletch arrow and his exact words were, why the hell do you have four fletches on that arrow? (laughs) Um, and when it was asked me, asked that way, so bluntly, I didn't have an answer. Mm-hmm. I was, I don't know. I, I was told, you know, might be a good idea. Yeah. I, like that. I was just, you know, I was talking to somebody that, you know, knows a lot about arrows, sells a lot of arrows. And so I went with it, you know, seemed fine. And the issue was, is I went from mechanicals to fixed blades this year mm-hmm. and I was shooting and I was getting wild arrow flight at 50 yards, even 20 yards. I could see it, but 50 yards was like very, oh, yeah. I was like, Whoa, what's going on? Um, so I got my bow perfectly tuned. You know, the guy's very talented, um, and got it all set up, put, uh, the four fletch arrow in it and I got wicked tear mm-hmm. and He's like, okay, uh, let me let me throw one of those arrows through my bow. And he's got a, a bow there that he shoots, and he's like, I promise you this bow is perfectly tuned. Yeah. Um, shoots it, he gets the exact same tear. He's like, okay, here, try this arrow. Gives me a different arrow, three fletch. I fire it through, perfect hole. No tear whatsoever. He throws it through his bow, perfect, ready to go. I was like, all right, cool. Uh, so we're going to cut those fletchings off, and you're going to put me... <laughs> get me all rigged up with some new fletches. And he said, all right, sounds good. Um, threw those through paper and perfect. Did he give you any sort of insight as to why that could have been throwing it off so bad? No. All he said is that people 
insist on overcomplicating hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said that, you know, there's absolutely no reason to have four fletches on there. He said it just complicates everything. Mm-hmm. And it's louder, too. Mm-hmm. Is it? Yeah, um, from what I heard. Literally? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Austin literally heard it. It's definitely louder. Uh, so I, I don't know. Um, he didn't really give me any specifics on why. Mm-hmm. He just said that it overcomplicates your pro, like your tuning and everything. And he said it's just there's no benefit to put, to a fourth fletch. He's like I have you know he's been doing this for a long time. He's seen a lot of fads come and go, and he's like I have no idea why people do this. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you if you're you know a guy that designed the four fletch arrow and there's a reason behind it, I'd love to hear it. Um, mm-hmm. But just in my experience i would never shoot a four fletch ever again because mm-hmm. it was like night and day going from a three to four yeah perfect mm-hmm. so yeah he's a great guy to talk to like i warned you when i gave you his number and you said you were going over there he i was like make sure you have plenty of time to spare when you go over there because the guy likes to talk but he's a super cool guy to talk to because he does know what he's talking about oh he's yeah super knowledgeable he's got all these um turkey calls he's homemade that are, they look nothing like you've ever seen before. I mean, oh, really? I've yeah, never like, seen his turkey calls. He showed me his whole collection, um, but every call, he, he hand makes all of his calls. Mm-hmm. None of them look like anything you've ever seen, and they sound incredible. Like, mm-hmm. I was, like, blown away because, you know, you everybody's seen, you know, your standard slate call. Yeah. Everybody's seen your box calls. He's got calls that you've never seen. He's got variations of friction calls that you've never seen, and they sound phenomenal. And then, and I'm like, so you, I'm like, do you use these in the woods and stuff? And he said, every one of them birds right there was killed with it. And he's got like this rope of, uh, spurs mm-hmm. hanging and there's not a spur on there. That's probably under an inch, you know, every single one's inch and a quarter, inch and a half. Mm-hmm. Like I was like, okay, all right. You know, it was, <laughs> it was awesome to see, you know, he's mm-hmm. just very knowledgeable and just a very avid hunter. Uh, mm-hmm. he said last year he's 82 years old. So at 81, he put down the compound. Mm-hmm. And picked up a crossbow. Yeah. Um, he still shoots his compound bow, but he just is, you know, at 80 years old, he's just a lot more comfortable with his crossbow now. Yeah. Um, but I just thought it was cool to see a guy at that age. Yeah. You know, he's earned a crossbow at this point. He's in his 80s. Yeah, I would say. Yeah. So <clears throat> next question. Is there anything you're that... going to skip? Does Austin have one or no? I don't know. Yeah. Austin didn't Um, dive right in. I didn't want to jump in and cover you up. Well, that's how you got to do it. All right. So uh, what's your rundown on scent control? Scent control. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Are you spraying down out of the truck wearing rubber boots or? Ozonics. Yes. Uh, That's what I was going to get to. (laughs) Austin's like, I'm going to sell you people on this. Uh, So uh, I guess we got time. So I'm going to start with, I do use ozone, but it's for, I have an ozone bag that I put my gear in. Um, and the only reason I went over to that, uh, two reasons. One, when you buy the ozone bag, it's a very big bag and I can fit a week's worth of clothes in it. Um, so it was kind of like I wanted a bigger duffel bag for my week long hunts. And this one came with an ozone emitter on it. And anywhere I hunt for a week at a time, I don't have a washer and dryer. So I got the ozone to disinfect clothing so it doesn't stink for a week. Um, and it's very effective with that. So I, I use that all the time, but you can't put anything elastic in there. It eats elastic almost immediately. Right. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah. It's like 
couple runs and your elastic will is gone. Um, but for like wool clothing, because wool stinks very quickly, oh, yeah. um, you put wool in there and one one thirty minute cycle on that, and it's fresh as a daisy. Mm-hmm. Um, smells like a fresh rain. So that's all I do with my clothing. Um, I'll be straight up with you. I can't remember the last time any of my camo's been in a washer. Mm. I, I'm not somebody that washes every every year mm-hmm. or throughout the year. Like my camo, it comes off the shelf when I buy it, and then it never goes in the wash. Unless I, even with blood, I think it's like a badge of honor. Like if I got, like I got all my turkey pants just have blood all the way down the back. Mm-hmm. Keep it on there. I think that's just you know yeah. it makes me feel more dangerous in the woods. I like um, that. So, I never wash mine. I'll, I'll wash like my pants because I wear those. Well, like, yeah. The, so there's insulin. certain pants that I yeah. wear hunting and out mm-hmm. that those get washed. But like my strictly camo pants or anything yeah. camo that's only for hunting yeah. never gets in the wash. Um, as far as um, scent control for like washing myself and showering, um, I will use a scent-free body soap. It's not a uh, like a HS hunter like no like hunting brand or code blue anything like that i just buy a uh, hypoallergenic arm and hammer um body soap that has no scent use that and then a lot cheaper it's way cheaper yeah um and then this is probably like unnecessary but i have uh a dry scalp so i have to use special shampoo for that and that's tea tree and peppermint and i use that throughout the entire season Mm. so never had an issue with that either um when it comes to the stand, I don't use any ozone. Um, I don't use any scents. I strictly pay attention to um, what my milkweed tells me. Um, I look at the the uh, wind direction, but I've noticed over the years uh, that what a flag is doing at the garage rarely indicates exactly the way the wind is moving back in the woods Mm -hmm. because the way the wind hits the woods and bounces around off valleys and different things the wind is rarely doing the exact same thing it's doing at the garage so i have my little pouch of milkweed and as i'm walking in i will throw it up and just see which way it's going and decide what tree i'm going to go in based on what the milkweed's doing um but i mean i'll i'll come straight from work um and straight to the stand in just earth tone pants and like this this red flannel I've, I've killed deer wearing this color with just like some earth colored pants mm. um i don't i'm not worried like i used to work in a weld shop and i would be in a garbage truck all day smelling like literal shit and then i would go out in the woods and hunt and it, i've never the only time i get busted from scent is when deer come from a direction that i didn't expect them to or i set up wrong um i've never been winded like upwind i guess right okay i just i don't i think a deer's nose is so powerful you can't even comprehend it and i don't really think there's a whole lot you can do that if a deer gets downwind of you mm-hmm. i think they're gonna bust you austin you might have something different <laughs> to say about that I, no. I'm, I'm interested to talk to you after season yeah after a year of playing around with the ozonics and see what you think we've um my dad and I used them in hunting blinds before, and you kind of just keep the windows cracked, and you get one or two of them running, and I mean they'll be right underneath you downwind and never detected. But I'm not I, saying it doesn't work. I because I, I, I can't. I'll never say something doesn't work unless I've seen it right. fail myself. Yeah. Um. I just my experience hasn't made me 
wish I could use it or wish it would mm-hmm. work, so I've never tested it. True stands are hard because you're out in the element, everything's blowing around, and but yeah. yeah. I mean, we'll see what happens this year. So Yeah, I'm interested to see what uh, you come up with at the end of the year, if you're sold on it yeah. um, or what. Um, but yeah, that, that's my scent regiment. I don't, I don't use any sort of scents. I don't, I mean, I, I do, I have like the old, uh, scent wafers mm. that I like to use. I don't think that they're <laughs> I feel effective. Like you just have those for fun. Yes. A hundred percent. Um, there's nothing like taking buck rut scent wafer and hanging on the back of your hat. Um, <laughs> my grandfather, when we were, when I was hunting with him still, he would take doestra scent wafers and these are i don't even know if they sell them anymore they're like a brown can about this big and there's three wafers in there yeah i think um, they're still out there okay um but they're called sex scent and there's doestrus and buckrut mm. but it, yeah it says sex scent and then there's a red a red label for buckrut and a blue label for doestrus and my grandpa would take those doestrus and he'd put them in all the windows uh of our hunting blind so like as the wind would blow you just get dough piss, you know, hitting your nose and you're like, oh yeah, this is working. Nothing's better than that. <laughs> yeah, just how we drew it up. <laughs> and uh, so I, I think part of me, the reason I still carry the scent wafers is for that, um, just that nostalgia. Yeah. Because um, like, I don't put the scent wafers out in the trees, like, you know, 20 yards out. Mm-hmm. I, if I have, if I break a scent wafer, it's usually when I'm feeling froggy and trying to spice things up. Like I've had a, you know, maybe the last two days of hunting have been dry. I'm like, you know what? Time to, to break out time the to crack weapon. out the old scent wafer, you know? Oh, yeah. So I'll just hang one on the back of my hat. So it's like every time I, like, turn my head, it's just like, you smell that piss? Yeah, this is, <laughs> yeah. This is working. So that, that's, I guess that's the deepest I get into scent. <laughs> Next question. Is there anything that you've done in the past while hunting that you said, you know what? Nope, I'm done. Not doing it this year. Hmm. No, Nick's just perfect all the time. No, there's, <laughs> there's, maybe like trying to be on your phone less. I, I don't know. Just uh, so I. That's that one was, I gotta work on. For that sure. I, that was one I did last year. So two years ago, I was really bad with using my phone. Um, last year, I was, and one of it was I, uh, my fiance got me an Apple Watch, and that keeps me off my phone more than you would ever realize. Mm-hmm. And it sounds crazy to say it, but the biggest problem with me with my cell phone was I wouldn't pull it out. But I would get a text and I would pull it out, read it, respond, and then well, while it's open, I'll check Facebook and then I'll mm-hmm. check Instagram. And it's like I'm the same way. If I get a text, I'll pull it out and be like, okay. And then I'm like, well, oh, what's going on over here? Yeah. Next thing you know, it's been ten minutes, and I'm like, oh my gosh. So yeah. having the Apple Watch now, I get a text, I can quick respond on my phone on my watch, and I don't pull my phone out. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been a key thing for me to keep off my phone, um, but. One thing, like, what do you think about like shitting underneath? No, your okay, I'm gonna continue that. Um, yeah, I, that one crossed my mind. I said, no, I'm not gonna stop. Uh, I, I, one of my best bucks, I shit out of the stand. Actually, I wouldn't even get. I I was in a climber. I, I don't know if I've told this full story on here, but uh, one of my best bucks I ever killed. Um, I was hunting in a climber. First time I'd ever been in that in that area. Uh, I didn't have a flashlight or anything going in. I I went in stupid early, like an hour and a half, two hours before dark. Because I knew I had to walk close to bedding. Before light, you mean? Yeah, before light. Whatever. You all knew what I meant. So you say two hours to an hour before dark is rather <laughs> yeah. late. You're a little late. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, before light. So I didn't have a light or anything. Just 
was walking through with my climber and was like, yeah, that tree looks good. So I climbed up, Tom and I are texting and it's still pitch black. And, uh, about seven o'clock rolls around. Sun's just starting to peak up and something else is peaking up. Yeah. <laughs> it, uh, I got a fifth alarm fire coming out my ass. It was like, all right, time to go. So I was in a climber and I just didn't feel comfortable just hanging over the edge. So I climbed down, I left my bow in the tree. So my, my bow's 20 foot in the air. Anytime I, I climb down to shit, I always bring my bow. Yeah, I, I didn't for whatever reason. I was only, I was probably 17, 18. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I left my bow in the tree and climbed down and uh, did my did my business. And I, and I, I mean, I went far. It was like a good 15 yards from my tree. Uh, <laughs> and then I climbed back in, climbed back up, and I figured Tom needed to know, you know, and uh, I texted Tom. I said, are you seeing anything? I just took a shit. And so Tom texted me back and he's like, no, I'm not seeing anything. What about you? And I said, no, not yet. I put my phone away and I hear, I look over and wouldn't you know it, 35 yards out, I've got a tank. And I was like, all right. So I grabbed my bow, shot him, watched him go down into the weeds and uh, immediately pulled my phone back out, texted Tom. I said, I just shot the best buck of my life. And he's like, bullshit, you're lying, you're lying, you're lying. I was like, I'm telling you, I did it. So about 10 minutes later, he calls me, says, I'm getting out of the stand. I'm coming to you. I said, all right, see you in a bit. And he's like, you actually shot a buck. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I did. And he's like, all right, sweet. I'll be there. Um, so yeah, that right there told me you can shoot out of the stand. Don't matter. Yeah. Um, makes it less desirable for Tom to hunt my stands if I do it anyways. Mm-hmm. So especially when you do it right out of your ladder stand. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've never done that. Uh, <laughs> you always go to the side. Uh, but I'm trying to think if there's anything. I mean, if you, you can say no. It was just a question. Yeah. I, I, I'm glad you elaborated, though. Instead yeah. Instead of just giving a hard no. Yeah. Pass. Next question. Uh, where, where's the sun go? <laughs> uh, no, I don't think there's really. I think maybe. Um No, there's not. There's nothing. I'm sorry. Sorry right. to say. There's next question. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh man, I didn't think of another one. <laughs> I gave you plenty of time. You sure did. Uh, give me Austin. You go. Oh, I wasn't ready yet. What the hell are we doing here? Oh, we got another one. No, that was about all I had. You you down. can't only have two questions for me. I fired more than that at you. Well, I got Nick and Austin or Frank and Austin answering questions or asking questions. This is just, I knew it was going to take a nosedive without me in the driver's seat. Hey, that's one of them things, you know? <laughs> well, I thought we were doing, like, I ask one, Frank asks one, Austin, then me, yeah. then Frank. The, the, those two were unprepared. Yeah, we're, we're beefing it big time. Uh, I'm going to stall here for a little bit while you guys <laughs> think about it. Um, oh, now we're going to a word from our sponsor. The, do, do, do. We don't have a sponsor. Oh. <laughs> Tom mentioned last week... Um, when I asked if he's going to try anything new about like going into bedding and he usually mm-hmm. hunts the edges and stuff and then slowly moves in. How do you approach bedding early? Like first, as soon as the season starts, how, would you dive right in or are you the same way as Tom? You like to hunt the outskirts and then slowly close in. So I, out of respect for Tom and my dad and stuff, when we're on that piece, mm-hmm. um, the, the, like a, the, the main farm, I guess. 
I hunt the same style and I stick to the edges. And then as the season progresses or I get on something, you know, I'll, I'll move in. Um, I try to be as least invasive as possible. And on another farm, my grandpa's piece that I hunt, I do similar uh, tactics. I try to either one, go where I know he doesn't hunt mm-hmm. um, because he's got quite a big farm, but he's got, you know, a couple stands that he goes to. And if I'm going to get aggressive, I make sure I stay far away from anywhere he's at. Yeah. Um, well, let's say you're on a piece of property all by yourself. You're not worried about anybody else. How would you approach it? Or do you stay away early season or if you know, have I scouted it ahead of time yeah. and I know where potential betting is? Yes. Um, I am going to, in the morning, I'm going to sneak in early, 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 and I'm going to get right on the edge. Okay, because the reason why I ask this is because I'm planning on diving way in. Like That's first my typical. I've talked about the buck that I'm after the past several years. I need to go way after him, and he is on my property, which is 100% betting early season, then he leaves. So I need to dive way in. I'd say thing. go for it. And, um, and I've killed a couple bucks opening day within like sub a hundred yards of bedding. Mm-hmm. Um, and every time I do it, it's because I sneak in way early, yeah. you know, two hours before the sun comes up. Mm-hmm. And my theory behind that is, is that they're going to still be out feeding on the move, working their way back to bedding. Um, and the other thing is I don't use a light coming in. Um, mm-hmm. I know some people say, you know, they'll forget about the flashlights and stuff, but my theory is if it's pitch black, even if I bump them, walking in they can't pick me out in pitch black it mm-hmm. could have been a coyote it could have been a raccoon doesn't matter yeah, it could have been another deer something. they heard a yeah. sound that bugged them out um if i put a flashlight on my head i think deer are smarter than people some like i think they're in some aspects are smarter than people give them credit for and i think they're dumber than people give them credit for in other aspects they're and, instinctual and they know how to survive yes and they know that lights equal artificial it's yeah, yeah it's not um, you know, it's, it's same thing. If you, you know, you come in, you know, late at night and your house is usually dark and there's, you know, a light on in the basement, you're going to take note of that. You're going to mm-hmm. notice you're like, Hey, what's going on there? Mm-hmm. Um, so I always, if I'm, especially, you know, if I'm going into bedding guns blazing opening morning, I'm going in at least two hours early, no light. And my entrance is the most important part. Mm-hmm. And I think you should consider your entrance as yeah. your most important part. Um, you need to understand, and that, this is why I do so much scouting early in the year, mm-hmm. is I try to find that bedding and I try to figure out where they're going to be feeding early season. Um, early season, you're definitely going to be paying attention to like your soybean fields, your apples, yeah. those sort of things. You know all that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I try to make a, um, a mental map in my brain of, okay, here's the bedding, here's the feeding this is the most likely way that they're going to come back. And I'm going to make sure one, I don't cross that. Mm-hmm. And my scent doesn't blow that way either. Mm-hmm. And it's worked a couple of times for me. Um, even last year, the buck I got, um, I snuck in, it was in an afternoon hunt, but he was in his bedding area. I, he was probably 70 yards from me when I walked in. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only, the only reason I was able to do that is because the wind was blowing heavily in my favor and I was able to sneak on my hands and knees under pine trees for about what would you say that length is 200 yards yeah I would say I literally with my bow in one hand and my stand on my back for 200 yards just crawled crawled, underneath the pine boughs yeah 
And that was the only way I could make that happen because one, you got that pine needle bed that's super quiet. Mm -hmm. um, there's no crunchy leaves or anything. So I could sneak through there totally silent and he never, never heard me, never kicked up. Mm -hmm. I, as soon as I got out of the pines, I made maybe four steps and I was up my tree. Mm -hmm. And so it was like absolutely bulletproof. And I just, I think that that's a big part of, if you're going to hunt close, you, everything has to be right. You can't be reckless about it. Yeah. Yeah. You can't just go calculated recklessness is I guess the way you want it because it, it is a little reckless, mm -hmm. um, but you need to be calculated in what you're doing. Yeah. Something to add to that. Um, is there a transition period for your, like before the rut? I mean, you're hunting the food hardest because that's when they're coming up from bedding to food. Is there like, you're, you're getting towards the end of October it's start to be the rut. Are you getting deeper in the woods? Um, so in Tom and Frank, Tom and Frank will attest to this. I'm not much of a field like food sitter. Okay. I, I don't, I mean, I will sit them sometimes, um, but I typically like to just be in the timber more right. than anything. Um, and, and I think a lot of that is just because of past success. Uh, Tom's had a lot of success shooting bucks on food plots and on food sources where I haven't. Most of my success has been done, you know, in the timber. I feel so, like all three of us are very diverse like that. Yes. Tom's a field sitter, you're a timber guy, and I'm a big swamp guy. Yeah. We all have very different And I think it's just because of, of we've each killed the most doing that mm -hmm. so that you kind of just stick to what's comfortable. Um, but in terms of the change for me, um, when I start seeing deer moving earlier on in the evenings, because it's a lot of my changes I base on my evening hunts. And it's because typically, you know, early season, if you're sitting a field edge, it seems like right at dark is when you're going to start seeing a buck or something. Right. Um, or even does. A lot of times does will wait till, you know, the last half hour. Um, but as soon as I notice walking into my property that I'm hunting, you know, for my afternoon sit and I've got deer in the field already when I'm walking in, that's when I usually transition into, okay, the rut's coming. I need to switch up and get a little bit more aggressive. And when that point hits for me, I essentially hunt from the time I get out of my truck. Um, I always keep an arrow knocked, but I'm way more cautious of every step when it gets closer to the rut. Um, right. Because I had a, a couple of years ago, I had a stud um, that definitely would have netted Pope and Young. I mean, he probably gross would have been close to 140 um, that I snuck up on him chasing a doe and I was unprepared. Had I been walking in with an arrow knocked, I could have drilled that thing at 15 yards. And I just, I couldn't. So now I've switched up. That's, I guess, Tom, to answer your question, if there's anything I won't do this year, <laughs> it's I won't walk into the timber without an arrow knocked. There you go. So, yeah, that's that. Okay. Tom, back to you. Look who's unprepared now. Oh, my. No. Pitiful. <laughs> So, okay, <laughs> hear me out. You said your goal, your main goal, was to shoot a net Pope and Young buck. You giving me a scenario here? No. <laughs> I'm asking you, do you, as of right now, have a plan to execute that goal? Uh, not really, because I don't have... You haven't located your Pope and Young yeah, buck? Yeah, I have not located a Pope and Young buck. Um so Makes once it, you do, how are you going to go about killing them? Um, so 
it's going to depend on how I locate him. If it's a visual, it's guns ablazing. Um, I'm going to I'm going to just basically keep zeroing in, getting a little bit closer, a little bit closer, a little bit closer. Um, trail camera pictures are tough. You know, if it's daylight, that's one thing. You know, I can go and set up on that trail camera. Um, but getting nighttime pictures of a potential buck doesn't excite me that much because a picture at two in the morning, that deer could be bedded three miles from there. Um, so I th- basically my plan to get that done is I'm going to be real picky um, up at, up to the rut. You know, that, that October, tw- like from basically opening day until October 20th, I'm going to be pretty pretty picky. It's either going to have to be that, what I believe is in that, 125 or something with some character um that because i i like character bucks like mm-hmm. I, we've got a buck with split g2s he ain't gonna net 125 but he's a great looking buck mm-hmm. um mr Krabs, that's I, a cool buck he's heavy that buck probably will not net 125 no. probably be like 115 yeah. um but on that property that's probably the best i'm gonna get yeah um he, he probably i I don't score wise. I don't think he'll knock Tom off the, the podium. No, it'll um, be a nicer looking deer, but as, yeah. as mine is as well. But yeah, you're on crack. <laughs> it, that's a preference thing. No, I, no, you're Mr. Krabs will knock mine off 100. percent You think? You think? Oh, he well, is I, a lot heavier and a, just as tall and wider and much longer beams. No, his his he's only an eight, but his threes are real short. Yeah. His twos are just as tall. Yeah, but he's got short threes. He's got long beams. Though. Way longer beams. Yeah, he's it's going to be tape worthy. No, I think he blows them out of the water. No. Well, how about I'll show he's you Sunday? Got probably. How's that sound? Seven inches. Tom, I'll show you width. Sunday. He's probably got <laughs> at least ten inches total more on mass. beam length, and yeah, probably another ten inches more on mass. Well, we'll take a tape to him Sunday afternoon. And uh, we'll let you know. Well, see what the, see what Sunday sc- morning. Scoreboard says. Uh, yeah. Frank, any? Uh, are you going to kill a November buck or what? Uh, I'd like to say no to that. I'd like to just keep going You've with Mr. October. You've been saying for two and, years that you're going to do it. and Yeah, but I, I keep killing before November, so it's not like it's a problem. You know? Yeah, but you say you want to do it, and then you just Yeah, but I'm not going to pass it. a 19 and 15, 16-inch wide buck October 28th, just to say I could do it in November. I would. No, you wouldn't. <laughs> Go Babe bullshit. can just pick him whenever he wants. If he wants it November 1st, he'll get it then. No. I yeah, I, obviously, I would love to kill a rut, a rut buck because I, I love the rut. Mm-hmm. It's so much fun, but I just have – and I can't say that I'm always tagged out before October. I, I Tom and I were talking about this this morning at the gym that um, I went on – a five-year hiatus without Mm. killing a buck with my bow Um, i had some rifle bucks in between there um but i also got more picky with what i was shooting you got there was a good stretch where i was shooting the first legal buck that stepped in front of me with my bow Mm -hmm. um and it's i I hit a point where i was like i want the next level Mm -hmm. um so i took some time off you know just and, and i was filming you know decent bucks and stuff i was just comfortable passing them and letting them go and um but yeah obviously i'd love to kill a november buck but it seems like not as much as it just statistically my season falls apart after october i just i I can't get it done statistically i just can't 
get it done in November. So mm-hmm. I will say it gets a little nerve wracking come October 31st if one's You're not like, on the ground. Shit, it's not going like, to happen this year. I'm like, uh, clock's running out, boys. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Spike's looking mighty tasty. <laughs> Um, no, I wouldn't shoot a spike. Austin, you got any final questions? Uh, I think that's about it. So final question, we'll do the same thing Tom finished with. One thing you would want to leave with a first-time hunter. Uh, I'm going to go back to probably an old, old write-it-in-pen that I said. Um, own your kill. Uh, I think, especially as a new hunter, whatever you're happy with shooting, do not make an excuse or anything for anybody. Mm-hmm. If it's a legal buck and it makes you happy, I don't care if it's a button buck. If, if you're happy with it, own that shit. Don't, don't, I don't need, I don't, I hate seeing the, he's not my best or he's not the biggest, or I was hoping for something, you know, I shot him yeah. because I'm like you, if you drew your bow back, you released an arrow, you shot that deer, own it. Mm-hmm. Like, do not make an excuse for anybody. Own that kill. Have fun with it. And don't don't shoot bucks or does or whatever based on what somebody else might think. Do whatever makes you happy and own it when you do it. Because I, I think shooting a, shooting a deer is a, a serious thing. Mm-hmm. And to not take full responsibility or to make excuses over it, I think, is not doing the animal justice. Mm-hmm. So I think if you're going to shoot the animal, I think you need to own it and enjoy your hunt. Absolutely. Sweet. I guess that about does it. Now we get to pass it over to you. You get to have the driver's seat back, Nick. Yeah. Um, thank you so much. I wish you guys would have called me Nicky Knox in there, but <laughs> I'm trying to get that to stick. It's uh, just not <laughs> sticking. I think it's I think it's good. Maybe I need it's, an earring. I think an earring would be appropriate for a guy named Nicky Knox. With right. a knock hanging off. That'd be sexy. Yeah, maybe I'll get like... I'll, I'll, uh, maybe the, the buck I shot last year, I'll take the arrow and snip it just below the fletching and there somehow get go. it to, man, Kayla would be pissed if I put an earring in just for, hey, <laughs> could you imagine just, do you want to be called Nicky Knox or not? Oh man, I could see, maybe we'll do it. Uh, I, I'm not even going to say that. Just get um, a clip on. Yeah, I could do a clip on cause then it would just be even trashier. I think, yeah. um, <laughs> and less chance of infection, um, yeah, maybe we'll have to work an earring in there. <laughs> As Tom would say, leave it in the comments if you think Nick should get a, a earring for Nicky Knox. If you'd call me Nicky Knox if I had an earring. I would call you Nicky Knox. If you were sitting there with an earring right now, I'd call just you Just one, Knox. though, right? Oh, it has to be just yeah. one. All right. Two's too classy. One, that's trash. One's not enough. Two's n- too many? Or what, how does that go? Something like that. I don't think that applies here. It doesn't. One in Rome. <laughs> well, when in Rome, wear a clip-on earring. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, we're gonna wrap this thing up here. We're gonna go shoot some bows and get ready for the season. Uh, we thank you guys for listening, tuning in every single week. Uh, we enjoy doing the podcast and hope you guys enjoy listening. So, on that note, you guys all know what to do. Get outside. Uh-huh.